Oh, no, yeah, I'm still recording, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm Tina. Hi, everyone. Hi. Nice to be here, really. It's kind of, I haven't done, um, it's funny, you know, because I, I did a cheer last week in AA, and I haven't done a cheer in AA for ages, ages. And now I'm doing a cheer in here. So that's really interesting. And they say, don't they, that, that one bus comes along and a couple comes along at the same time. Seems to be a bit like that. Do you know what I mean? I haven't done it for ages and then two on the trot. And, um, yeah, it's interesting, really. I've been sober a long time now, you know, and nearly 25 years, actually. And suppose I'll tell you a bit about my alcoholism, because this is a, a double winner's minute. And, well, before I start that, actually, I don't know if you can see my cat. I've got a cat here. I'm going to tell you about my cat. A little bit. Got this cat, and he's chronic codependent. He's an absolute chronic codependent, just like I used to be, really. So I've still got one around me in my home, you know. But he's little, and he's not too much trouble, you know. But he's here, he's here. And what he does to me is, um, he wants to sit on my lap all the time. As soon as I sit down, that's all he, you know. He's just waiting. He loiters. He loiters while I'm, you know, moving around. As soon as I sit down, he's like, he's on me. He's on me, and he's here now, do you know what I mean? It's interesting, really, isn't it, how we can still keep, well, how I can still keep kind of having that kind of stuff around me, you know, that codependent stuff. And Anyway, you know, I got sober nearly 25 years ago in London, and, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I was a, I'm a typical alcoholic. You know, I, you know, I didn't understand about, about being an adult child, though. That, that's the interesting thing for me, really, you know. I knew that I wasn't right, you know, from a child. You know what I mean, I had an alcoholic mother, and I didn't know about alcoholism at all. We both didn't know about alcoholism, and it used to drink together. You know, when I got a bit older, she was a single parent, and I was a single parent. And But before I was a single parent, you know what I mean, we used, to, we used to drink together, and we didn't know anything about that. Do you know what I mean? We'd never known anybody that was an alcoholic, and... Just, it was like the normal thing to do, really. You know I mean, where I come from in London, that's that was there was a pub on every corner. You know, that was my that was my childhood, a pub on every corner. So that was where everybody went. You know what I mean, so I grew up in pubs basically, or sitting outside pubs quite often. Do you know what I mean? They'd all be in the pub, and all the kids would be sitting outside on the stone step. Do you know what I mean? We'd all be sitting there with our Coca Colas and packets of crisps or whatever, and kind of looking in the window. And um, so all my childhood was wrapped around pubs, you know what I mean? My mum used to work in one, she was a barmaid. Um, this is in the late 50s, you know, I'm getting on a bit now, and not so many pubs now in the UK like it used to be, but, but that was it. Yeah, and so yeah, my life revolved around it, and by the time I was 15, I was working behind the bar as well. You know, loving it, I loved it, I loved working behind the bar. But for me, I mean, I, did, I drank, of course I drank, you know what I mean? And, but I don't believe I drank alcoholically until I was older. You know, I did, you know, I did. I was always drunk, you know what I mean, when I was a teenager. But there was, I think, lots of teenagers like that. I mean, I think all teenagers, mostly, don't they, go out and experiment with drinking. I didn't experiment with drugs, because that wasn't my cup of tea, you know what I mean? I used to look down on drug takers, because I used to think, oh, no, 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 I don't do that, I don't do that. But I was drunk like a fish, you know, and so yeah, I was a bit uh, judgmental around things like that, you know, and I realised as well, 
you know, I, I grew up in this environment in London where we didn't we didn't like outsiders. You know what I mean? We didn't like them. We didn't like anybody that was from a you know from a Europe or anywhere. We didn't like people from Africa. We didn't like anybody that wasn't a Londoner, basically. And anybody that used to come into the area, it was there's a lot of prejudice, a lot of prejudice, you know. And and I realised a couple of weeks ago actually that that's still sitting inside me. I mean, I really don't like it. You know, when I got older, I just think, oh God, I don't want to be like that. Do you know what I mean? And but it was always there because it was kind of ingrained in me. You know what I mean? We don't like black people. We don't like foreigners. Oh God, it was horrendous, you know. And I'm not like that today, thank God. But I did feel it. A couple of weeks ago, a remnant of it, do you know what I mean? I said, oh, God, look at that, that's still there. What's that doing there, do you know what I mean? And that's why I asked for it to be removed, really. That's, that's not me. That's that's my upbringing. And so, yeah, you know, I just, you know, we're, we're products of our upbringing, aren't we, really? So, yeah, it was a very um, pub-orientated childhood I had. You know, by the time I was 18... I was really, I didn't have no confidence or nothing. I had no confidence in myself whatsoever, no self-esteem. I didn't know who the bloody hell I was, didn't have a clue. And I was the most chronic people pleaser, chronic people pleaser. You know, and I didn't know, I, it was funny really, because my mum, she was a single parent and I became a single parent. And she was chronic, I mean, she became agoraphobic as she got older, couldn't go out. In fact, she couldn't sit in a room on her own without somebody being there with her. That's how chronic she was. And then she couldn't go outside the house, you know what I mean, because she was so agoraphobic and she couldn't do anything without somebody being with her. You know, and me as her only child, I had to be with her, you know what I mean? And really, I thought that she did love me. I was thinking about her today, actually. She did, there was love in the house. There was love in the house, um, but it wasn't enough. There wasn't enough. So yeah, I became really, I was a teddy bear, really. That's what I was. I was like a kind of shield from life, really. She used to cover me a, a lot, hell of a lot, because she hadn't, didn't have a boyfriend or anything like that. My dad had gone by the time I was quite, well, as a baby. But she was on her own all those years and different boyfriends and that. She had different boyfriends, but they never seemed to move in and she never got married again. So I was like a, I was like a comfort blanket, basically. That's what I was, a comfort blanket. So I thought, it was interesting, because I thought that everybody was supposed to cuddle me, because that's what I'd grown up with. And so when I got married, I expected my ex-husband to cuddle me all the time, because that's all I knew. And if he didn't cuddle me, I was really upset, you know, because I had nothing else, really. And of course, it caused loads of problems in my marriage. I mean, I did get married when I was eight. Well, no, not when I was 18, but I got married when I was about 23. But I was with him from when I was 18 when I was feeling like I was left on the shelf because I had no self-esteem and I didn't know what I was doing and I had no clue about nothing. And I just married the first bloke that took an interest in me, basically, because I didn't know what to do. Didn't know what to do in my life, you know what I mean? I had this kind of... It's interesting because what I say now is I'm 68 years old now and I feel like I'm picking myself up at 18 where I lost myself, basically. I'm picking my 18-year-old up now and we're doing things today now that I wanted to do when I was eighteen, but you know I'm I'm an old I'm an old hippie. You know what I mean I grew up in in the sixties. You know what I mean so I'm an old hippie and I'm pagan, so I've I've got more into it as I've got older. You know what I mean and I think I would have gone more that way if I hadn't been an adult child basically. If I hadn't been an adult child because I would have gone off and done some of those things, but because I had no confidence, I had nothing. I felt so bad about myself. 
I just had to grab the first male that took an interest in me, basically, and got pregnant and got married. I feel like today I've lost like 40 odd years of my life, really. I feel like that. I feel, in fact, I feel like I've lost 50, actually. I'm 68 now, and I feel like 50 years of my life went in the wrong direction. And that's a strange thing to say, but it does feel like that. It went on the wrong trajectory. I went down the marriage route, which wasn't right. Well, it was okay. Well, in fact, yeah, well, anyway, that's what I did. That's what I did. And I had kids, I became a single parent. I didn't drink in the marriage because it caused problems. We'd argue about it, so I didn't drink. So, you know, my drug, my drug of choice was my ex-husband in those years. He was my drug of choice. And then, you know, it became violent, it became violent, and I didn't understand that because there was no violence in my home. I didn't know, there was no violence in, in, you know, in my childhood home. There was lots of neglect and lots of quiet stuff going on, but nothing, no violence whatsoever, you know. So I didn't understand that. didn't understand anybody being violent. So I kind of took it. I took it for too long, really, until I realised that I had to leave, you know what I mean? And which is a miracle, you know, lots of young women don't leave and they, you know, lots of women die, you know, it's, it's very dangerous to be with men like that, you know, it really is, and I think my higher power has been looking after me all my life, one way or another, you know, and, and I remember sitting down and something in my head said, you've got to get out of here, and I know it was my higher power, because I didn't think it, you know what I mean, I was kind of embroiled in all this shit, and, and I did it. I listened to it, I did, I just packed up me and the kids and left, you know, and that was the end of the marriage and and what happened with that really was, I, I was rubbing my hands together, thinking, oh I've, I've escaped, I've escaped, but what happened was I was on my own then with two kids in, in a house and a, a, a car and a dog and everything to take responsibility for now and I couldn't cope, you know, I was a child, I was a child. And I couldn't cope with all the responsibility and, and, and the pain of, of, of everything. So I drank. And that's when my alcoholic drinking really kicked in. Do you know what I mean? I couldn't cope with the pain and everything. And, and I just drank at night, you know, and just to sleep, really, you know, and cope, you know, because, yeah, I wasn't coping very well. And really, we were like three kids together. I had two, I had, I had a daughter and a son. And it's like we were like three children together, basically. And I was trying to be the parent as, as best I could, do you know what I mean? And... And I did the best I could, and that's all we can do, isn't it, really? And I think what's happened now is my kids now, because I kept him in touch, I didn't stop my ex-husband seeing the kids, which I wish I had done now, when I look back, because he's caused me a lot of problems, this man, by being a bit disrespectful and, and, and just being a fucking arsehole, basically. And and it's, it's yeah, I shot myself in the foot in a way. In it because I kept him in touch and the only reason I kept him in touch with the kids was because I'd lost my dad as a child do you know what I mean I couldn't inflict that on mine so I couldn't I just could not inflict that on mine so I had to keep I had to keep the kids in touch with him because of that really and people used to say oh you've done the right thing you have done the right thing you've kept him in touch but I wish I hadn't now because it's you know because of the trouble it's caused me and now my kids you know we're kind of um I don't know, we've, we've, we've kind of come together a bit lately. They're in their 40s now, both my kids. And, and it's been really difficult. It's been really difficult. You know, I mean, I came into ACA about three years ago now. Just beginning of lockdown, it's three and a half years, I think. 
because I was suicidal. I was 22 years sober and I was suicidal. And I couldn't cope with, with life again because of this adult child stuff, which I hadn't dealt with. You know, I hadn't dealt with all this, all that childhood trauma, basically. I hadn't dealt with it in AA at all. I thought I had, but I hadn't. And um, so, yeah, I didn't actually do anything, but I caused the chaos and but it was like a cry for help, really. And, and it didn't change anything, you know, and I know that today it was a cry for help. And then it brought me into ACA. You know, I remember looking around and thinking, I'm in such a mess that what fucking hell am I going to do? I thought, I can't be sharing this in AA because I just couldn't. I just couldn't. And I didn't feel safe enough, actually. And I just remembered somebody said something about adult children. And I remember looking it up and thinking, I'll have a look, I'll have a look. I'm in such a state, let's have a look. And I just sat in American online meetings for about two weeks crying. Just sitting there crying, where I'm sitting there, actually. Just sitting crying in the meetings. And um, and I thought, this is it. This is where I need to be. This is, I felt safe in here. I felt safe in ACA, you know, where I couldn't do it in AA, you know, and and I don't go to AA much now, to be honest. When I do go, I just sit there and think, oh, my God, I mean, they're all adult children, really, and that drives me nuts, really, and I, I think, oh, God, <laughs> it drives me nuts, and but I still go occasionally because I, I don't want to forget that I'm an alcoholic, and, uh, but my main fellowship is in ACA now because this is where my work is now, and... Um, and I'm incredibly grateful. I feel like AA saved my life 25 years ago, and ACA saved my life three years ago. You know, so I'm incredibly grateful for that. You know, I wish I'd found ACA when I was like five years sober, because it might have. Well, you know, it's no good in retrospect. You can't. But I wish I had. I wish I had. And I wish I hadn't married that man either. <laughs> so it's a lot of wishing. That I wish I hadn't done a lot of things. You know what I mean? But that's life, isn't it? You know what I mean? I, I don't regret. I don't, I haven't got regret really. I just think, oh, bloody hell, do you know what I mean? I wish I could have done it a bit better. Because I feel like now, I'm picking up my life now, 18 going on 68, do you know what I mean? It's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy being an 18 year old in a 68 year old body, do you know what I mean? But that's what's happening to me now, do you know what I mean? We go and do things now. I'm thinking about moving, you know, and I've kind of been going off looking at different places and because um, I want to be with more pagan people and. You know, people like me, you know, old hippies, you know what I mean? And they're not where I'm living, do you know what I mean? So I've got to go and find them. And so that's been my last couple of weeks. I've been travelling around a little bit in my old camper van. Update. Oh, what's that? Oh, God, no, later. Something on my thing then. Anyway, I've been tra travelling around in my old camper van, looking at places, and uh, I've knackered myself out, basically. And I'm back home now, and I need to have a little rest now. I've been doing too much, and um, I've spent some time with my daughter, and... And that was kind of nice, and my grandchildren. So um, I'm hoping that we're kind of coming back together again, because it caused such a big rift between us, really. And they're not in recovery. I'm the only one who's ever been in recovery in my family. So I'm the only one. You know, I say to them, for years, why don't you go to Al-Anon, why don't you come to ACA? And they look at me as if I'm mad, you know what I mean? They say, Mum, it's nothing, you know, we're, we're all right. We're all right, don't run with us, it's you. And I say, no, it's not me now. It's not me now. I'm sober and I've been in, you know, recovery for a long time now. And But they're still not. They're not well, really. But they're doing okay. They're not drinking or drugging, which I'm pleased about. They've got, they're functioning out there like normal-ish people with husbands and wives and kids and houses and dogs and everything. Do you know what I mean? Same as I've done, really. But I wasn't happy. And I get the feeling that they're not internally happy, but I can't fix them. Anyway, that's me.
and I'll, I'll leave it there because I've been going on for a bit of time now. And um, thank you for listening. I hope it's helped someone.